This podcast is sponsored by CU Ledger, a credit union service organization offering MemberPass, the simplest, most secure solution to verify members, leveraging privacy-enhancing technology to protect credit unions and their members from identity theft and fraud. From the Credit Union National Association, this is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people, credit union ideas. When social distancing guidelines went into effect across the United States, credit unions responded by closing or limiting access to lobbies and reducing the number of employees working in branches. As a result, many credit unions became digital-first entities almost overnight, encouraging members to use virtual channels to access their accounts and services. In this environment, the concept of digital trust has come to the forefront for many credit unions. I'm Casey Mishlevy, Deputy Editor with CUNA News. I spoke with John Ainsworth, President and Chief Executive Officer of CU Ledger, about building digital trust with members, implementing enhanced security features like decentralized identities, and anticipating how these technologies will continue to evolve. Credit unions have had to adapt in the wake of COVID-19. What are some of the changes specific to digital offerings that credit unions have had to make to operate effectively during this time? Great question. You know, I think you could almost restate it as to what hasn't had to change given the environment everyone is enduring. We were just on the CUNA roundtable call and some of the main highlights were digital has always been aspirational. We've used the term digital native, um, addressing audiences, millennials, and some of the other segments, but it's overnight been digital always. And you know, the fact that I can't go into a branch necessarily, or I'm now having to go another channel, be it more online or more call center. I mean, all of that has had both just product feature impacts. In other words, I actually have to have a digital offering and then certainly the amount of volumes and, and support to actually service those channels. So pretty much universally, I think everyone has had massive impacts because of the digital shift. It's no longer optional. We went digital always overnight. What are some of the security concerns that might come along with this new operating model of having to shift to digital first? Are there ever any elevated risks associated with working this way? I think, you know, the first and immediate that we are understanding is with social distancing. The fact that if my branch is open and I come into the branch and I'm wearing a mask, well, you know, I no longer have that comfort of the relationship that I knew Mrs. Jones coming in every Friday. There's just kind of that immediate impact. And so, you know, that's the first equally because all of the transition to drive through same situation, I no longer can necessarily identify someone in the car with a mask. And me as a consumer, I don't want to share my ID. So I don't want to share anything that you're going to you know, want to touch. And you're hearing so much about kind of contactless right now. And then certainly to the other channels of phone and and online, you know, those have already had some of the security challenges to begin with. But if I'm now no longer able to go into a, a branch and now I'm having to call in for most of my service questions, you know, the typical experiences are asking me these these out of wallet questions, you know, what's my dog's date of birth, et cetera, et cetera. And many of those are in the public domain. You know, I can find out where he went to high school off of Facebook. So the fact that I now, you know, 200% increase in my call center volume 
And that's actually not a very safe channel to begin with, actually just further affords opportunity for exploit. Yeah, and I'm also thinking about concerns from the member perspective, such as elevated fraud risk. What are some of the member concerns that credit unions might want to keep in mind? Most of our technology was to help a credit union verify that you are actually who you say you are. And because of all the phishing and scamming and text fraud, now the members are equally concerned that I want to know who you are. And so if I suddenly get a call that says, hey, great news, this is your credit union. I want to offer you skip a pay. I want to offer you a new loan or whatever kind of service. It's, well, how do I know that it's actually you? And so your point is really valid that I, as a member, now am equally wanting to make sure that you are who you say you are and it's in a safe environment. That's where this idea of digital trust plays in. Could you talk a little about what digital trust is and why it's important, especially in the environment that we're operating in right now? This term digital trust sounds very nebulous, very, very high lofty. But, but if you think about it, what we're basically saying is it's a way to actually have a trustworthy exchange and verification of any common dialogue between two parties. And without getting too technical, if you think on the internet, what you're really verifying are two machines. I have one PC, you have one PC. If we're doing type of exchanges, well, all the securities identifying those machines. But there's really nothing about that saying, well, how does John know that John is who he says he is on the other side of this equation? And so this digital trust is taking it up one level to say, well, gosh, not only can I secure the actual machine, but more importantly, I actually know who's on the other end of the machine. So that's the concept of digital trust. It's that enabling of a trustworthy exchange or verification of information uh, between two people on the Internet. And that could be for goods or services, other values, but it's all about trustworthiness of digital exchange. How can credit unions go about building digital trust? It's interesting. I mean, credit unions are very fortunate that they already, by their relationship with the members, have a great base of trust to begin with. And so the fact that all of the great and wonderful attributes of why I'm a member to begin with I actually carry over. So they've got a great baseline, but making sure that the actual member knows that they're conducting them themselves in a way that's safe and secure and private. Those are really important messages right now to build digital trust. So if you think about the traditional features and benefits pre-corona, you might have talked about, hey, this is going to save you more time. Now the emphasis is more like, hey, this is really going to keep you safe and, and it's going to keep you know, all of the information private. So it's that safety attribute that's really what will help drive that. And decentralized identities are one tool that can help with this. Can you explain how decentralized identities work and how they enhance digital trust? Well, if you think about this mentality, we've always talked about digital trust being between two endpoints. And if you think today where my data is stored and how typically someone identifies me, there's some big honeypot that actually has all that magic information in it. You know, all of the questions that you answer, all of the passwords that validate, all of that has traditionally sat in kind of a big honeypot. So, for example, if I'm you know, going into Facebook and I'm using my log on a password, well, the actual data for that resides within Facebook. So that's what we talk about as a centralized solution. Decentralized means just that, that there's not any one place that has all of that information aggregated. It's actually broken out, thus decentralization. 
So maybe I actually could infiltrate one part of the actual data source, but I would have all these other communities I, I would actually also have to breach before I could really get to the gold, if you would. So that's the principle of decentralization. And so the way it protects me, again, is because I actually kind of control how that's used and when it's used. So as opposed to you having the data and verifying when I am, I actually get to be the owner and controller of that. So that's the premise of decentralization. Do you have specific examples of how using decentralized identities might stop a bad actor from gaining access to member information? How might that look in practice? Well, in reality, by the way, if we've done our job right, the member really won't know that there's this, quote, decentralized D behind it, just like that. I don't really care about the Internet and the fact that there's this, you know, protocol of TCPIP. All I want to know that actually works and I know that I'm safe. But in this sense, if you look at how we've deployed member pass, effectively what happens is when I call into my credit union call center, there's actually an encryption between my phone and that credit union. And if someone is trying to pose as a bad character, so let's say that you are the member and I'm trying to be the bad imposter, I actually call the credit union to say, hey, I want to transfer a $10,000 balance. What happens is you get an encrypted message to you on your encrypted secure channel with your phone that says, hey, are you actually on the phone with ABC Credit Union? And you say, actually, I'm not. And that flags a transaction and immediately stops it down. So on the backside, you don't know that we were using cryptography, that we're using biometrics and that we're using distributed ledger. All that you know is you got a safe and secure prompt that said, hey, are you on the phone with your credit union? And you were able to say no and stop the fraud as opposed to the other way where somebody would have been able to use those questions and maybe actually um, take in your money. So that's kind of a live, real practical use case today. What should credit unions consider when implementing enhanced security features like decentralized identities, such as what to look for in a partner they might work with? Well, I think, one, you need to look at the community and source that you're involved with. And so, for example, in the world of the Internet, there's a governing body called the W3C, the World Wide Web Consortium. And they are the organization that basically drives standards globally for how you have interoperability. And so what you wouldn't want to do as a credit union is to find one provider that had the security service for one channel or one specific use case, but it couldn't interoperate with any of the other solutions or, or enhancements that you have as a credit union. So this interoperability is a big deal. That's actually why we participated as a founding member and the digital trust standards through the Linux Foundation and us and partners like IBM and MasterCard, you know, to make sure that there's a global standard of how this all interoperates so that your member has a seamless experience. So that's the first one is evaluate the, the community that you're participating in. I think the second thing is we always start with the member experience. And so, you know, what are you trying to solve? And so for in this instance, if it typically takes 90 to 120 seconds to answer the phone call and ask you those four out of wallet questions, and you can take that down to 20 seconds and give your member a better security, that would be an example of how you're driving for a member benefit as opposed to just how you're making sure you don't lose money as an institution. So I think thinking about the community you're involved in and then actually making sure you're solving something on the behalf of the member, I think those are the two strongest attributes. Can you explain a little more about the digital trust standards that you mentioned? This actually started back in 2016 with a research to action that actually came out of the CUNA roundtable and really looking to see, gosh, can we find an emerging technology that can make a difference? And so we've had the benefit of having a couple of years participating as this space has grown. 
And so what's very fortunate for us is the rest of the world is very supportive of credit union cooperatives and their mission, especially around financial inclusion. And so everyone has been trying to find a way, how can we help credit unions continue to thrive as the internet of things kind of continue to grow? And so the group that are associated with this, Sovereign is a foundation that we've talked a lot about in the past that we've been involved with. But because of the tech, we've literally been involved with these communities since day one. IBM is another great example. And so it's really all of these organizations coming with a common good that say, you know, hey, we want to make sure at the end of the day, everyone has access to financial services. And that's kind of how we've got into this standardization work. So it's been kind of a three-year journey, if you would. So this is somewhat of an evolution, although greatly accelerated by Corona. So, you know, maybe what would have taken another two or three years to get to kind of a global alignment, everyone being focused on the same kind of problem, the world has just gone digital, has just accelerated that. And, and we're fortunate to be a part of that. And moving forward, how might these standards specifically benefit credit unions? Well, if you think about the member experience today, if I go into a credit union and I walk in, I typically have some process of identifying me and how I engage with a transaction. So I have kind of one experience if I walk in, and it's usually by one provider. If I actually call in on the phone, well, the credit union typically has another provider. And, and then if I log in via home banking, well, there's yet another, again, a provider and another member experience. All of those today reside on very separate, specific, different protocols and vendors. And so a credit union has to spend all of the money to source all those providers, make sure that there's a consistent experience for the member. So having that global common standard simplifies that and makes that interoperability easier and less expensive. And so I say today, if you think about you know the internet five, 10 years ago, really, you couldn't have one phone that had apps across different platforms. You know, I had one phone with one different provider, and I had a certain set of apps I could experience. I had another phone and another provider, and I could only get access to those apps. And so you had kind of this clunkiness to where I, as a consumer, couldn't have a consistent experience. Now, in this day, you have apps that are available across all kinds of devices and channels. And so having that kind of seamless, frictionless experience, that's what happens when you have kind of that global standard and that interoperability. It's not sexy. It's, you know, more tech oriented, uh, but it's a really important kind of foundation to make sure that the member has a consistent experience, no matter how they want to engage with you. And that goes back to the idea of the tools performing their functions so seamlessly that the member doesn't experience everything that's going on in the background, but they still have that confidence that they are being protected. I think, again, I mean, a member wants to know that it's private, that it's safe, and that it's simple and it's smart and that I can use it 24-7, however I want to engage with my credit union. So yet again, it's really not about the tech. It's really more about the experience that we're trying to solve. But it's really interesting for credit unions today. I, I feel for some of them, especially a new member onboarding. We've literally talked about Open Your Eyes and, and the value of the campaign and driving new account growth. Unfortunately, we do have an experience, though, where you know I could be looking for a credit union. I could put in my zip code and send me to a community credit union fantastic news. I go through all of this digital engagement only to find out I have to print out a physical form and I have to manually mail in a $5 check to open my share draft account. Those organizations are in a very difficult season right now because the expectations of our members just won't support that. It's got to be digital always. How do you think technologies like decentralized identities might evolve in the future as a result of the current pandemic? Well, it's fascinating. Actually, there is a large effort within the healthcare community right now to use a very similar decentralized ID solution for evidence of COVID testing. 
So if you think about today, you know, when I was growing up, if I had my immunizations from a doctor for school, you know, I had an immunization record that said, great, all of your shots are up to date. The use of decentralized ID prevents solutions where I could have evidence that I'd had the coronavirus shot. I can have evidence that I've been gainfully employed. I can have evidence of my credit union membership. So all of these kind of proofs, and that's kind of the buzzword here, zero knowledge proof is the buzzword, but there's statements that I can prove digitally, kind of like a digitally notary. I, as a consumer, as a member, being able to have those available when someone says, you know, hey, prove to me this, prove to me that, you know, you've had your immunization for shots or prove to me that you've been tested for corona. That's what you'll start to see is some evidence of these decentralized ID. I kind of equate it if you've been through the airport and you've been through the clear experience, you know, I walk up, I put my fingers biometrically, that allows me to have an experience. It's kind of the same thing, only I can have that with a financial service provider, I could have it with a healthcare provider. I could have it with a university, you know, many different sectors of service. We talk a lot about Estonia as a benchmark. If I want a loan in Estonia, there's an automatic exchange between a financial institution and either a mortgage provider. And all of that is done digitally. And it's all done by a, a verification of a decentralized ID. So it really does open up a completely different experience for someone that really wants to enact digitally. We're experiencing this now because of obviously a pandemic. But if you think about what will life be after and what will digital always mean, there are definitely some benefits that we can afford. Yeah, and that's such an open question. Things are changing on a daily basis. Many institutions are wondering, what is next year going to look like? What is two years from now going to look like? At this point, I think we know that we're never going to be back to normal, but we do have these tools that will enable us to adapt to the new normal. And I do think, you know, there are definitely some themes that we're all seeing. So, for example, we're all seeing the data supporting contactless payments and, you know, the 30, 40, 200% growth because no one wants to touch. Same thing if you think about how we're talking about identity. I don't want to give you pieces of information that you're going to touch and give back to me. So that kind of social engagement experience, you could certainly see where that's going to take a while to get back. And so yet again, we talk about this digital trust only in the sense of, I don't know what to expect. And so I want to make sure that whatever I'm doing is in kind of a safe, secure, trusted environment. I started my background actually off with Visa, and the founder of Visa is kind of a friend and mentor. He's 90 years old now, but you think about the guy that conceived of mobile commerce when we were back in a full physical paper world. And now thinking about the advent of all the technologies, you know, Internet of Things, biometrics, distributed ledger, quantum computing. And so all of those things being able to help us in terms of what that new journey will be. I'm very excited about the ability to come to some very sophisticated, but yet very helpful, beneficial solutions, but it's going to be different. And I think we've all expected it. This has just accelerated it. What are some first steps that a credit union might take if they want to start building that digital trust that we've been talking about? Is there anything concrete that they could do to get started on that journey? One of the things that we have actually done is created a digital trust registry. And that is effectively having shown that in a digital representation of the internet, that credit unions actually have a digital identity. So credit unions can register for that, they can engage it. And that's the first step so that whether it be a credit union member coming to a credit union, whether it be another partner says, you know, hey, my credit union is trusted, they're safe, they're secure, they're taking care of me. That's kind of the first step. Secondly, there's now some regulatory guidance coming out. So the FFIC just came out with some enhanced 
guidance in terms of how do you plan for these different channel experiences. So you're literally now going to have to think about your strategy of, okay, if my call center is 200% more and my online banking is 200% more, what are the process and procedures and partners I have in place to address that? So the second part is you've got to basically evaluate where you're at today because now there's a regulatory and compliance angle to this to make sure yet again that everyone can feel safe that this credit union is safe and secure. So join the digital register. That's the first step. And then go back to your practices and procedures to make sure that you've got a good angle on the FFIEC guidance and regulations. That would be the second that I would suggest. And what's the easiest way for people to find the registry? The domain is www.digitaltrustregistry.com. You'll see our member pass experience and how we're actually framing that. But it's the domain is digitaltrustregistry.com. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. CU Ledger makes it easy for credit unions to take the first step in forming trusted, lifetime, private digital connections with their members. To learn more, visit digitaltrustregistry.com.